Blog Talk Radio. Welcome for, to a very special edition of Sports Urban Legend. Along with my co-host, Macaulay Matthew, I'm, of course, William Ramo. What's up, Mac? How you doing? Hey, what's up? How's it going? I'm good, man. I'm glad to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, I'm going to have a special guest on the show, Gio Doris. So, without further ado, let's uh, get to the interview. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce one of my dearest friends. Without a shadow of a doubt, Jill DeReese is one of the best motivational speakers on the planet. You won't find a better person who is more passionate about empowering people to have the courage to chase their dreams, no matter what, how difficult or how impossible it may seem. As a result, he released a book called The Thirst is Real, The Guide to Maximizing Your True Potential where he has um, shared his journey shifting his career goals from wanting from one of the best offensive players in NFL history to coming to his newly formed company called 2020 Living, um, which enables him to motivate people to become the best version of themselves. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Gio Doris. Thank you, Will. Thank you. Thank you, man. Absolutely a pleasure to be on here with you now. Let's get this going. Uh, thank you. The pleasure is all mine, and everybody who's going to listen to this, uh, this, uh, you know, your your story um, is going to bless a lot of people. So, again, thank you. No doubt. Man. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to ask you, who or what inspired you to become a motivational speaker? Great question. Uh, honestly, well, uh, I think it kind of started off like in high school when I was playing football. I quickly gravitated to the little linebacker of the Baltimore Ravens, Ray Lewis, who was a master motivator. Everybody knows him for that. And I just loved the fact that he was able to inspire his teammates to play above what they thought their potential was. And so I started to kind of do a little bit of that um, in high school myself. And then I went and became a coach right after high school. So I literally coached for three years. I was a 19-years-old offensive coordinator on a high school level. So I had an opportunity to motivate a lot of people there and kind of got my a little taste for it. But what I would say would be the one thing that really got me to where I am right now to pursue motivational speaking and speaking to children, to college students and all, and adults as well, was a story that I heard of a young man uh, I was watching CNN, actually, uh, and when I was watching a CNN episode or show, I saw this young man. He was probably about eight or nine years old, or he may, be, may have been 11. I'm not sure um, it escapes me what his age was, but a very young man, and he had committed suicide. And as I'm watching this show, I started bawling in tears. I'm, like, crying. I'm like, and then I paused for a second and said, why are you crying to somebody that you don't know? Like, Will, if you saw me, I was crying like it was a relative. Like, it was like, like, boo-hooing, the ugly cry, the one with the snot, like, like that kind of cry. And I was like, man, this is really bothering me. And I started 
was that the case. And what I felt in my heart and my spirit was this young man who could have been a future president of the United States, who possibly could have found a cure for cancer. Who knows what he had on something inside of him, but because of being bullied, um, he will be, he decided that, you know, I'm going to just check out. I'm going to just eliminate myself from the equation. So I don't have to feel this pain of frustration of constantly going to school every single day and being picked on no matter what the authorities or people to be the power with the powers to be to do anything. So when I saw that story, I said, man, I got to do something. I got to let kids know that their lives is so precious and so important that they shouldn't let one incident or a series of incidents get them to the point where they think about considering killing themselves. And so that started getting me down on the track to go ahead and um, figure out how do I do that? Like, how do I do that? So, I started doing that um, speaking as a result of that story. I still remember it to this day. The young man's name was Carl. Um, I think Carl Hoover King or something of that nature. And he just really just, uh, I wouldn't say he blessed me, but I think the story really touched me in a way that made me say I have to do something to help other people not go through that kind of pain. I mean, uh, I, I, mean I, totally, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. I mean, you know, that's a traumatic experience, you know, for someone to end their life, especially at such a young age. I yeah. mean, my, my, thoughts, my thoughts and prayers go out to his family, you know. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm with you, you know. You know, nobody should have to be bullied. I mean, me as a, a kid, you know, growing up in Brooklyn, I mean, I've been bullied uh, my fair share. So, you know, I, you know, I know how tough it is, you know, to focus on school when somebody are, you know, trying to make a name for themselves by, you know, starting trouble with you, so right. my, heart's in, my heart and prayer go out to, his, you know, to the young kid's family. Absolutely. Um, what motivates you to inspire students of all ages to get fully engaged with their education and pursue their dreams? You, you know what it is, is the motivation comes from the fact that I realize that if, you, if we're not fully engaged, we just kind of just forfeit everything. So I think there's a saying that says, if you want it all, you have to give it your all. And I think what happens is when we go and just give the bare minimum and then expect the maximum, it becomes very frustrating. And then we start to to cheat our way to the max. With students, the reason why I push them to be fully engaged is because I don't want them to squander potential opportunities because they didn't go all out. One of my mentors, Dr. Rob, said that the number one decision that we all have to make in life is whether we're going to go all out or to hold back. And I really believe that if we do get fully engaged, what that enables us to do is to be able to get full access to everything that comes to come to us. And I think when we do have that, we can do so much more. So I would hate somebody who has the potential to make a million dollars go and make only 100000 or 10,000, or whatever the number is. You have the potential to make it, why not go and get that potential? So that's why I wrote the book, The Thirst is Real, was to go and help people maximize their potential so that that way they're not wasting time because one thing that we can't buy is time. So I want to help you make the most of your time while you have time. Absolutely. Um, it reminds me of, uh, you know, Wayne's Gret- Wayne, uh, you know, Wayne's Gret- Wayne Gretzky's quote, you know, uh, you know, of course, I know you, you're very familiar with, you know, you only, you, you make 100% of the shots that you don't take, you know, you got to try, you know, if you don't try, yeah, you know, you're doing it. No, absolutely. You got to try. I think it's, uh, yeah, like the shots 
that you never take. You miss the ball. You know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? So I think it's, you know, you look at Kobe Bryant, and we say, hey, my gosh, he's a Hall of Fame basketball player who has two jerseys retired um, in the Staples Center. And what we, a lot of people may not realize is that Kobe Bryant has also missed the most jump shots, the most shots in NBA history. So he's one guy who just kept on trying, and as a result of keep on trying and not thinking he's a failure because he missed, but having the courage to keep on shooting, I'm able to have a Hall of Fame career. And if we can go and apply that same principle in our lives, we can have a Hall of Fame life, which is more important than just a career, right? Career for Kobe Bryant was 20-something years in the league. If you can have a Hall of Fame life, our lives are a lot longer than the careers we're having. So if we can have a Hall of Fame life by being fully engaged, by going ahead and giving it our best to try and not re- and realize that we only win or learn, we don't win or lose, then I think we will be able to go and achieve a lot more things, live a happier life, and um, really have an impact on this world in a positive way. Amen, amen. You're 100% right. Um if you could take a time machine and you could change one aspect of your life, what would it be? What would it be and what? And why? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, I, I wish... I'll tell you the honest answer and I'll tell you a hypothetical answer. So, honestly, I don't want to go back in time. So I really believe that everything that I've went through is, is purposely happened to me so that I can make the most of this time that I have right now. And if I went back in time, I would have that everything changes after that time. So I wouldn't want to change that. But just to answer the question to provide it for you, what I would love to be at a time, when you say time machine, I could go to any time period in the world or in my own life, like play, replaying it. Oh, that's a good, I mean, well, in this instance, uh, I would be talking about in your life. Yeah, I, I can't think of a moment where I would go back. Uh, to be honest, uh, there's that thought. I, I will never go to that thought. I remember Kevin Hart had a saying that says, the only reason you should ever look back is to see how far you came from. If I rewind my life, then there's nothing to look back on. So I, I can't even entertain the question, to be honest with you. Like, I just think that it's just that my life ahead of me is way more exciting than me playing any part of my life that happened in the past. Yeah, that's a very excellent point because um, – you know, you learn from your experience. Every every experience, uh, you know, makes you stronger. You know, yeah. like like Tom Edison. You know, he you know he he he, he um, found ten different ways to make the light bulb. Ten thousand working. Thousand. I think ten thousand. Well, yeah. I understand correctly. You know, if he would have went back, you know, it would have taken away from you know the struggle that he had to do in order for him to become arguably the greatest inventor of all time. So you well, gotta you gotta you, you, you know, know. in the head. We, we, we have to realize this, man. We pray away. We ask God to remove burdens from our lives, not realizing that God used those burdens to provide blessings. Okay. So sometimes we, we're praying away problems, and what we don't realize is the problems are supposed to make us better, stronger, build more characters. So those problems are more like staircases, steps on a staircase. And the more you remove them, the low, the, the less, the success, the height of it diminishes because you kept removing steps. So I would say, like, yo, don't, like, I would like, that's why people say, like, yo, you know what, when the Lord says, you, um, I will be your strength. Well, if he removes all the problems, then why do you need him to be your strength? You only need strength in the, in, when there's resistance. So don't pray away the resistance. Ask God 
have to give you to, for him to show himself mighty in your life so that that way you can get to the top and you can go ahead and that. And then ultimately he gets the glory. But I think if you pray away every single problem and, then, and he let that happen, which God already knows the plan, if he really let all those things go away, then what glory, would, what type of mountain would we be standing on if or we literally deleted the whole mountain um, by asking for every single thing to be removed? Right. Amen. I mean, you look mighty tough when you're when you're um, standing on an anthill, but when you climb Mount Everest, I mean, you know that that's a testimony. You have to have a test to have a testimony. So, you know, yep. the bigger the the obstacle, the greater the story is. Absolutely. What what what's one lesson that you you've learned from one of your mentors now that you wish you could have uh, warned yourself in the past? Jeez, man, there's so many of them, but I'll tell you one that really hit me. It's, uh, it, 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 wow, which one am I going to say, man? Like, so I, I think one of the ones that when you ask the question, the thing that stood out to me was, or the one, the first thing that came to mind was progress over perfection. Um, one of my mentors, Paul Reddick, talks about this, and the idea was I wish I knew um, to focus on progress. Because if I had focused on progress and not perfection, I think I would have experimented with a lot more things. Um, and I think experimenting with a lot of more things would have made me a little bit more well-rounded of an individual. Not that I'm not rounded, but I mean well-rounded. So I think if I had um, learned that early on, I would have been able to have gotten more lessons to learn from instead of being so perfect and not trying stuff. So we talked about earlier, like, you know, you got to try, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. And I think what happened is there was a lot of moments in my life where I didn't take the shot. And I didn't take the shot because I didn't think there was going to be a perfect shot. But if I focused on not the perfect shot, but focused on just shooting, being in the moment and learning whatever you got to learn from the moment, I think I would have had more lessons, more steps that more steps would have been solidified so that I could have climbed a little bit higher, a little bit faster, but um, everything happens for a reason. But that would be the, one of the principles that I wish I would have implemented a lot earlier in life. And that's, a, that's a very excellent point right there. Um, other than being a English speaker, what would your dream job be and why? Uh, shucks. A uh, dream job would be um, to probably be a football coach. Um, I did it for three years. I thought it was going to be my dream job. It didn't work out that way. But I just love being able to be in a position to get a group of people to believe in something together and to strive to accomplish something together. I just love being a leader of people, and I feel like being a coach would help me do that. If I didn't become a coach, I would want to be a teacher. I'm married to one. I'm definitely inspired by what my wife has done in terms of being a teacher and leading young ladies at her school to be able to think and be more. And so any, any kind of profession, my dream profession is to help people get better. If I had an opportunity to help people be, get better, it doesn't really matter what the title is. I just want the opportunity to help somebody become better than they were before. That's an excellent point. Is, is there any perfect to be NFL coach or college, high school? Uh, I would say high school. Um you know, I think in the, in the NFL, it's, it's great to motivate them, but they're kind of self-motivated. There's a big check with their name on it. So it's, you should be motivated if you're a millionaire. Like, you, you should be. But I think what I like about high school is that it's, what, it's right on the cusp 
of where they develop the habits or the mentality to be able to even get up to a point where they can get a free education by getting a college scholarship to play the sport, and then that could lead them to go and doing something else. So I think that literally, if I can get, uh, I, I would, if I had to pick a certain level of football, I would definitely have picked um, high school football. And a lot of, and I love it because a lot of my players have become super successful, married, um, own their own houses, have children, and like they're just good, good people. And um, I was glad to have an opportunity to have coach them for the time period that I did. So if I could pick a dream job, it would have definitely been um, football coaching. Uh, that's awesome. Um, I mean, I know you're a huge sports fan as me, and just like me, you're you're a huge Mets fan. Um, other yes. than the Mets, what are your what are your other what are your other favorite sports teams, and why? Um, the Indianapolis Colts. I am a big fan of them, and the reason why is because my brother works for them. So, so, so because he works for them, that became my favorite team. I was obviously a Baltimore Ravens fan for years, and then Ray Lewis retired, and Ed Reed retired, and I was like, okay, it's a little easier now to not cheer for Baltimore, but I still cheer for them, except when they play the Colts. So I love the Indianapolis Colts for that reason, and um, we'll continue to love them as long as they continue to play my brother. Which, right? <laughs> which, which, but, it's, but he loves it out there, and I love the team. I um, love and I'm very hopeful that things will turn around for them. So I love them. Uh, uh, so football. Um, so I'm I would have loved to know to have seen that 
um, to be in that time period. But if I could really pick one, it would be like the time period where Roger Bannister ran the four-minute mile. And the reason why I would have loved to have seen that and have been around in that time period is because, for those who don't know, no one had no one had run a four-minute mile ever in history. And Roger Bannister was the first one to do it. And once he did it, I think maybe 20 people did it after him, like within a year, because he had shown them that it was possible. But I wanted to be in that time period because I wanted to know what did it take for him to continuously train to try to make a four-minute mile possible when no one has done it before. So, like, I love the fact that he had so much belief and a big vision to do the impossible, but I would have loved to see what that preparation was like, what was his thought patterns like, did he ever, what was, did he ever doubt himself, how was he able to overcome that to eventually be the, the guy that's known um, time broken the four-minute mile. So that would have been my time period. I would have loved to have seen that because I'm constantly always looking to try to innovate and do something that's never been done before, and I would have loved to have been able to uh, see Roger Bannister in, in um, not so much the glory but the story behind it. That's a that's a lovely and excellent point. I mean, that that takes a lot of determination and grit, you know, for him to even believe something that was like, you know, up until that point impossible, you know, and you know when you believe anything is possible, you know. Me personally, I would I would have loved to see like sporting events, you know. I'd love to see, you know, the the Mets championships in '69 and '86, uh, the Jets. Super Bowl and uh, uh, well, the 68 team won in '69, which is the 50th anniversary coming up next year. Um, okay. The you know the Knicks winning the titles '70 and '70 and '73, uh, and then you know when watch some of the Rangers uh, win you know their their Stanley Cups. Oh, and another thing, I, I would have loved to see Jackie Robinson actually you know won that 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 um, you know that title, the only title for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Against the Yankees, so that would have been a cool moment. Yeah, that was a great series, a great moment. Um, Yogi Berra was there. He's the catcher for the Yankees. and um, There's so many great stories between Yogi Berra and Jackie Robinson and um, how, oh, yeah. accepting Yogi, how accepting Yogi was. So Yogi was a very short baseball player with big ears. He was teased, teased a lot of things like that as well. But was just a great person, and I've had an opportunity and a blessing to speak on behalf of the Yogi Berra Museum to talk about anti-bullying sportsmanship. So um, that time period would have been a great time, man, to see um, color barriers broken and seeing, you know, Yogi stand up for um, Jackie and things of that nature. So, yeah, that's a great time period, man. And uh, that was uh, Elson Howard, the the first Yankee ever. He, uh, the first black Yankee, he he debuted uh, in 55 as well. So seeing seeing all those memorable moments, you know, especially in New York sports history, well, you could even go back to Joe Lewis and Max Mellon, you know, although, you know, like the legendary bouts, I would love like time travel, especially, you know, pertain to my teams. I'd love to. You got it. You got to make sure. But if you could meet three historical figures, past, present, or future, who would they be and why? Past would be. Um, is it past, present, or future? Yeah, it could be any. It could be any um, time period you want. Yeah. So Benjamin Franklin would be one. Um, of someone I would want to have met 
I would say it's cool that he's on a hundred dollar bill and he was never a president. Um, but he's obviously not the only person who was never a president who's on a dollar bill, but he's on the largest dollar bill there is. So he's amazing. I had a chance to do a tour in Philadelphia. And when I went out there, man, there was a walking tour, and they took us to a lot of different places. They said, hey, this is the library over here, and hey, this is the post office over here. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Who created these? They're like, Benjamin Franklin did both. Right? So, <laughs> I'm like, man, they, should just, they just shouldn't call it the city, the city of brotherly love. They should call it the city that Ben built. Like, guys, so like, yo. So Ben did so many things, and I was like, man, this guy was so notorious for being center and creating stuff like the library um, and post office and a plethora of other things that he created. So um, Paul, my mentor, we went on a trip there. He knows my affinity for Franklin um, and the things that he was able to create. So I definitely would be one of the historical figures I would definitely want to meet. I would see presently a huge fan of Kevin Hart, um, the grind that he puts in, the business acumen that he has. Um, and I just, just love being around would love to be around seeing his mentality and how he goes about um, continuing to put the, the, the pedal to the metal and continue to build more and more stuff. So I would love to have him at him, um, to meet him. Um, he's obviously still alive, so hopefully that will happen one day. And then um, if I have to go to the past again, man, it would, it would be a combination of my grandparents. So I only met one of my grandparents out of four of them. So I didn't get to meet my grandmother on my mom's side. Um, I met my grandfather on my mom's side, but I didn't meet my gra- my dad's parents. Um, they passed away early, and so I would have definitely have loved to have met them. Yeah, you hear all these stories about people who are like, hey, my grandfather spoiled me and all these things, and I never really had the opportunity to have that, right? So I would be curious to know what that what that would have been like to just meet them. But obviously, um, that wasn't in the cards to be. But I got a chance to kind of really experience it through my parents. But I would have loved to have been able to have met them. I hear you. I'm, I'm with you. Um, um, both of my grandfathers they, they passed away before I was born. Uh, my my uh, my mother, my father's mother, she she lived you know basically in Haiti. So I only visited her, saw her when I was two, and I you know when me and my family visited Haiti. Um, and then my but my grandmother, from my mother's mother, uh, she was the closest um, you know out of the. Um, you know, the grandparents that I had, you know, she was like the matriarch, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, of, of, you know, the families, you know, my, you know, my, my cousins and all that, you know, so yeah, she passed away like, you know, in 06, so, you know, um, you know, she's a, you know, she's with the Lord now, so, well, you know, so, I'll see her again now one, one day. Yeah. But, um, in 2014, you wrote in uh, your wonderful book, The Thirst is Real, the guide mm-hmm. to maximizing the true potential, mm-hmm. that you believe the correct formula for success is knowledge plus work equals power. So my question to you is, how can you convince someone from changing their viewpoint that everything is impossible into having an I'm possible revelation regarding the likelihood that change are possible when you hunger or thirst for them. Yeah, I mean, obviously I wrote that book, yeah, April 2014, and our whole idea about knowledge, you said knowledge plus what? I like this, make sure you got it. Knowledge plus work. Or application. Yeah, there's another 
yes, the applications. I think the key thing is like knowledge, we all heard that knowledge is power, but our knowledge is not power if it's not applied, right? So if knowledge is power, then the most powerful place in the world would be the library. It is not the most knowledge in there. But then the books can apply the knowledge. Someone else has to activate that. So you have to, so applied knowledge is powerful, but I believe that we will never apply the knowledge if we don't believe that the knowledge has the potential power that it really has. So when it comes to, like, people saying, oh, man, you know, this is impossible, well, history will show us a lot of examples of things that we thought was impossible that, be, that became possible. So it was impossible for anyone to fly. The Wright brothers go ahead and they come and do the airplane thing and show you that it is possible, even on a small scale. So I would tell people all the time, before you go and suspend the disbelief that it's impossible, and start to do something, because when you do something, you start to realize the thing that you thought was impossible becomes a little bit smaller. It's not like that big wonder, oh my gosh, so no chance I can ever make this happen. Well, things seem to appear very scary or whatever from afar, but when you step towards it, it's a little bit different. And so I would tell people to do something, um, you know, even on a small scale, so you can just get the ball rolling. And then you keep doing that, and before you know it, you'll have a big snowball. Um, and that big snowball can do a lot of damage. So I would just say, get that ball rolling, do the Facebook Live tonight, and I would say that action is like a domino effect. So when you take that one action, it knocks into the next domino. But if you don't do anything, then the dominoes will stay the way they are and never get knocked down. The only way to knock down a domino is to actually just take an action and hit the first one. And then let's see what happens from there. So I was strongly encouraging by if you feel like something is impossible, I would just say just go ahead and just try something um, towards that, in the direction of that thing, so that you can go and activate the possible muscles that you have. I think that it'll always seem impossible from your sofa, but it's a little bit more possible when you get up and do something about it. Absolutely. And uh, you definitely know firsthand about that, you know, going about, you know, what you what you dream about doing. Because you recently launched your 2020 Live Inc. company uh, last year, 2017. So um, what are your current plans for 2018 that would make everything you accomplished last year pale in comparison? It's a great question, Well, um, I'm always trying to do more. I'm always trying to do more. So this year what we're looking to do is we're launching this new program. It's called the Student Author Program. And what we're looking to do is just help young people, um, especially young children, to realize the power of changing their identity into an author. So we're putting together this program where I teach them step-by-step how does a book come about. This is something that's been inspired from me um, helping over 30 books become self-published in the last 18 to 20, last 18 months or so. So I want to just help people, young people, be able to go ahead and say, man, like, because my work is published, no one can tell me that I don't have value, right? Like, and I, to, to be honest, um, I want to say this, this is obviously sidebar, but I want people to know, I was joking around with one of my friends, and he, he was FaceTiming me with his wonderful son, Sebastian, my buddy, my best, one of my best friends, Carl, we were doing FaceTime, and I was looking at Sebastian on FaceTime, and I was like, yo, Sebastian, like, there's one thing no one could ever prove you on. And I want kids to really, if anyone who's listening to this are adults who have children, tell them they could use this line. No matter what someone says, because some people 
bullying, and you probably could attest to this, Will, when people bullied you in school, you probably started to feel like, yo, you started to question the worst. Am I valuable? Am I important? I want to explain to you how important you really are. When you're born, the insurance, obviously, if you had it, if your parents have health insurance, covers a big amount of the chunk of the money. But did you know that in order for a child to be born, it normally costs about sixty to seventy thousand dollars to just give birth, right? So, when next time someone, if you're a child and you're listening to this, or you're a parent and you have a child saying, "I feel like I'm worth nothing," let them know that you didn't even do anything yet in the world, and you cost sixty to seventy thousand dollars just to come out. So, if it costs me seventy thousand dollars just to come out, don't tell me I'm worth nothing. So what I want to do is just help people to know their worth, and we're going to be doing that by going and doing assemblies. We're doing an, an anti-bullying assembly next week, actually, uh, for several hundred students, um, just to speak about their worth and their power to take action and how even one person has the power to impact all. And then um, we're going to be doing more stuff, more events. Um, I have a 2020 Living Mastermind group on Facebook that we have meet every week on Monday night at Facebook Live, and you get to answer questions, you get to go and engage and help each other to accomplish our global dreams. So if people want to be inter- are interested in learning more about that, they could go and email me at um, geo at geospeaks.com um, so I can give you access to that. It's completely free. There's no cost to it. I just want to give, 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 because as the Bible says, it's more blessed Blessing. You're more blessed by giving than receiving. And I just want to go
than we would do. Even more. I'm just saying we don't really have an accurate depiction of what we really are capable of. And I think it's more so not even so much what we're capable of, but what we can do in his strength, in God's strength, is even more so. So it's not even like, yo, man, Gio, you want to bench press 300? Yeah, I could, I could bench press 300, but God is doing this bench press with me. I could do about like 450, you know, 500. Right? So, so, so I think if we just really own that and realize the power that we truly have, we can do so much more. We don't have to even think about, like, oh, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to get a job. I'm just going to get a career. Like, what? Like, why are you limiting yourself when you can do so, so much more? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, last week, before I let you go, what encouraging yeah. words would you like to say to someone who is on the fence on whether or not they should pursue their dream job or play it safe and stay in a dead-end job due to fear? Uh, parting words would be this. Um, and this is something that I, I heard um, from Gary Vandachuk. Someone said to him, he was in his car, and he was about to pull off, and someone came to his window and said, tell me something inspirational. And he said, you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die. And, and, and I heard that. I'm like, what the heck? That is, that's not inspiring. That's very inspiring. But what he said is so true. We're going to die. So whether you chase your dream or you stay at the dead end job, you're going to die. And so if, studies have shown that people who are in their 90s, when they're in hospice or nursing homes, they interview them and they ask them, what is something you wish you knew now or you wish you would have done? And they said, I wish I would have just tried to do what I wanted to do. When I hear that answer, it leads me to believe that a lot of people end up doing what others tell them to do and not so much what in their heart they knew they should have done. And the three words you never want to use is should have, could have, or would have. And I think people, these 90-year-olds are saying, I should have done this, I could have done this, and I would have done this. Had I known that fear, um, and I, I, I know they say false evidence appearing real. I think what happens when we start saying false evidence appearing real is that we think that fear is not real. And I think that's not true. Fear is real. If I feel it, it's real. But I think we need to just be more courageous, which courage means acting in spite of fear. So fear is present, but I'm still going to not, I'm not going to let fear dictate my action. I am going to let my vision, my hope, my faith for something more to matter more than my fear. So you just got to choose which F you live by. you live by fear or do you live by faith? One or the other. We obviously can't do both. So I would say the whole idea of fear because of a better job, you're probably a walking zombie if you stay there because you stopped living. There's too many people, and this is, there's a saying that says, many people die at 25, but they don't get buried until 75. And I think a lot of people who have these dead-end jobs, it's like when you say I have a dead-end job, you have to realize that when you say I have a dead-end job, you're dead. That's what it is. Right? So it's like, you're dead. You're dead. The job is, don't apply a personification to a job. A job is not a person. There's a person doing the job. And the person who's doing the job is really the one who's at a dead-end. And when you're at a dead-end, what do you do? If I'm driving on a road and I'm in a dead end, I have to back out of that road. We don't keep driving on that road because there's nowhere else to go. 
So I would tell them, encourage people, if you're listening to this and you're like, yo, man, I'm at a dead-end job, then just reverse in the car and get off the road. Go on a different road. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to, you don't have to stay on that road. Go on a different road. Hit the, hit the car in reverse and back out. Back out. Like, you might say, oh, I got bills to pay. Well, then do it on a small scale. Maybe start to pick up a side hustle. Do a little something on the side so you can make some extra money so that you don't have to be stuck at that job. But if you have a better job, you're dead. You're dead. Like, and the longer you stay there, you start to start to die so much that you don't even be so far removed from what living looks like that you don't even know that you're attending your funeral every day. And that's what I hate, man. I hate people just... I'm not saying that everybody's going to have a dream job where they don't have a boss and they can do all those things like that. But I'm saying, like, your life is too precious to just go about it and casually. Because one person said when you go through life casually, you end up a casualty. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I just don't want to, I'm tired of seeing people dead. I'm just tired of seeing people dead. I want people to live. Like, I don't think that this is a real place. Like, I'm not saying that you're not going to have trouble. You will. But I'm, this is not what God, God, Jesus did not die on the cross for you, for you to live lives on earth as a dead person. You might die to yourself so that he can, he can leave you. That's different. But for you to not live on earth at all, why did he, why did he do what he did? Right? So, obviously, to give us access to heaven, but I think he also gave us the Holy Spirit so that we can go and um, know how to navigate through life while we're on earth. But you still got to do stuff, something on earth before heaven ever comes about. So, and hopefully that will encourage some people to know, like, listen, man, if you're in a dead-end job and you're trying to play it safe because you need security and stuff like that, I want you to understand that if you're listening to this, take out a piece of paper and a pen, write down the word safe on the piece of paper and put periods in between each letter because safe is an actual acronym that stands for Suckers Attempt for excellence. That's what it stands for. So I believe we all have the potential to be excellent safe, not to suckers attempt at achieving excellence. So don't play it there, guys. Listen, man. You jump and you, you believe that God has a net at the end for you and he'll catch you no matter what. You're not going to fall. Um, and I hope that that encourages some people to really understand, like, yo, there's so much more potential inside of you. And I understand this, well, someone is always watching you. And if you live by fear, what you're training others to do is to accept the accept that fear wins. We have to start showing people what it looks like to live fearfully. Right? Like to be fearful like fearless, not fearfully, but to be fearless. The kids behind us are watching. He always should have to make sure that they know what's possible. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I highly recommend if you want a book, Geo, to provide life-altering motivational messages at your school, university, or or any event for that matter, then please go to www.geospeaks.com. In addition, please get yourself a copy of Geo's amazing book, The Thirst is Real, The Guide to Maximizing Your True Potential. Thank you very much for your time, Geo. I really appreciate it very much. Thank you, Will. Keep this going, man. Um, appreciate you having me. As always, love to be on your show, man. Uh, I look forward to tuning in to more future episodes. Thank you, man. And you'll, you'll always be welcome for any future episode. So thank you again. Thank you. Later, man.
right. Thank you very much, uh, Gio, for coming on the show. Uh, you know, coming on the show. I also want to thank um, Matt for being on the show. So check out the next episode next week, uh, Saturday at 11. I'm Wayne Ramo, and he's Macaulay Matthew. Thank you again, Gio Duris, and see you next week. Bye. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.